If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day. And now, O Lord, enhance us by your word. Grow us, fuel us, and then deploy us to serve. We submit to your word, O Lord, even now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so we were playing Pacific High School from San Bernardino. And they had a guy, Earl Hogue, who was sort of viewed as my primary opponent in the whole league uh, in, in, at Riverside Poly. And so I was gearing up for this. I was ready for Earl. And um, so the game is going on, and I'm, I'm scuffling with him. Um, I'm not just blocking him out from the basket. I'm scooching. I'm, and I've got the elbows going. And then he'd get in front of me, and I had the knee going into his rear end and that kind of thing to push him under the basket. And I was doing everything I could. <laughs> and, and at one point, I don't know what I did. I must have done something a little bit more on the, the egregious side. But uh, we were running down the court, and he caught up with me, and he said, do you even have a mother? Earl, he made me laugh. <laughs> and, and I was laughing, and I let up, and, and then we just had fun for the rest of the game. But um, sometimes you wonder when somebody's being really obnoxious, because where's, where's the, the mother-honoring side? It... it um, what, what we learn from moms is to kind of control ourselves and to not be quite so self-serving. Uh, we may learn from dads to be tough, but we, we learn from moms to be aware of others and to realize that always we are functioning in community. I, I, um, I thought about this not long ago, how, how when... We're mad, we lower the voice, we become stern. But when we are kind, we raise the voice. And we are demonstrating tenderness and, and understanding. That voice that in some way replicates the voice of our mothers builds community, as opposed to maintaining a threat. And so there are some deep, deep realities that we all bear because all of us, even I, have a mother. <laughs> Our text this morning comes to us from 1 Kings. Story of a dear woman who lost her husband, who was left with a son, and the two of them are about to die. And the Lord God sends the prophet Elijah to them. The Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. 
So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called her, And bring me a bite of bread also. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time comes when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. And so she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God, and the Lord truly speaks through you. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So Elijah came out of nowhere, but God called him to speak the word that God wanted the king and the queen to know. King and the queen, Ahab and Jezebel. You'll notice nobody names their daughters Jezebel. (laughs) Evil king and queen. Elijah walked right into the court of the king and he said, it's not going to rain until I say so, and I will say so when God says so. And after that, he ran. He went to the east of the Jordan, into the the desert, and there he hid out by a little little arroyo, a a little creek. And God promised that while he was there that he would feed him that he would provide the water from the the brook, but then he would send ravens to feed him with bread and meat. I often wonder if this is where we got the term, have to eat crow. Because, Because there Elijah was in a place of extreme deprivation and reliance upon God. 
day in, day out. And then the brook began to dry up. And God sent him to the very center of paganism at that time. And it was about 100 miles away. He'd hardly had any food, and there was a drought going on. He was going to have a hard time finding water, but he had to move about 100 miles to the west, to the coast, to this town where this widow would be there to see him. And God told him that he would be there. And so Elijah goes, and he meets this woman. She's emaciated, and she has her little son, who is likewise almost gone. And he simply asked her to provide him because God said she would provide for him. Provide him some bread and water. And she, in her place of destitution, simply said, I haven't got it. All I've got is enough for my boy and me to have one last meal. And I'm done. I have no more resources. I'm all through. This reminds me of the fact that that a woman, when she has committed herself to a family, is extremely vulnerable. When I sat down with my two, at that time, future sons-in-law, I said to them, well, we had dinner together and so on and so forth, but I said after dinner, you have two primary responsibilities, to provide and to protect, those two. And however old-fashioned that this may sound, I felt strongly that the man of the house is responsible to make provision, not just for the wife, but also for the children, and then to to police the exterior, to monitor monitor what's going on out there and to ward off any potential threats to the brood, the wife and the children. They all intended to have kids. And if I were to do it again today, I would say the same thing. And I believe this to this day. And I have a hard time with men who by choice leave their wives and their children destitute. I've seen it way too many times. The man's responsibility, according to the Apostle Paul, is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and give up his life for her, as Jesus did. That's what a man looks like. And so often in our time and place, what is a man... He's the guy who's on his eighth beer over here on Fifth Avenue. And big talkers, big drinkers. What about the wife and what about the kids that you have abandoned? I'm sorry if I'm sounding judgmental, but I am about such things as this. This dear woman in Zarephath was abandoned by death. And something's wrong in a community where she isn't likewise then surrounded by compassion and care 
that, that she doesn't have a, a body of people somewhere. This is the, perhaps the context of, of paganism where it's all about them and not about community. Among the Jews, a widow was watched out for and taken care of. And in the church, widows were watched for and taken care of. There, were, there was no provision for this woman. And she was on the edge of life, close to the end. And, and it may seem bold of Elijah to go up and ask a starving woman for bread. But that was the prophet because he knew the provision of God. He had just come from the, the arroyo at Cherith. And he knew how God provided there. And he knew that God would continue to provide. And so he said to her, the oil and the flour will not be exhausted. And that word became reality. That word was true. And they ate Together, they shared together, life together for days. And then the boy falls ill. And the woman holds this child in all likelihood as the child's breathing his last. And in anguish and grief, she lashes out at Elijah. What have you done? You've brought death to my house. You come here and this is what happens. Now, Elijah has already been through an awful lot of tough stuff. He has run from the king. He's hid out. He's been a, a fugitive. He's traveled long to be there. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to live on his own and to be reliant, not upon himself, but upon God. And so he doesn't lash back. He doesn't argue with her. Nothing defensive. He didn't say, well, I didn't, you know what? No, I, I didn't do any of this. He simply says, give me your son. And he takes him up to the room where he's staying. He lays this little boy out. And he goes on top of the boy and lays down on top of him. In my mind, it's heart to heart and cheek to cheek. And he calls upon God to let life come back into him. And the life of his body, he is hoping, I think, that his body's life would, would then transfer to the life of this boy. Three times, and he cries out to God for the life, for the breath to return. God's animating breath. God's breath that gives life and maintains life. And life returns to the boy. And Elijah takes this little guy down to his mother and puts the boy in her arms. And we don't hear the details, but we know there were tears. We know that she wept with joy. We know that Elijah, while she was weeping and holding that little boy, that Elijah must have gone up and held the both of them at the same time, showing love and compassion and care and concern. She had her son back. 
the son that was taken away, is now returned. It foreshadows what happened with Jesus and his mother. Jesus on the cross watches as his mother is there and the guards there divide the clothing that Jesus was wearing that that she made for him. And they were casting lots and arguing about who got what of the clothes that his mother made. And Jesus said, behold your son from the cross. And indicated to her John, the youngest of the disciples, and said to John, behold your mother. The son was taken away and Jesus provided another son that would be responsible now to take care of his mother. But one can only imagine the anguish and the grief. And this this absolute primal center of love between a mother and a child that we we cannot know as, as men. But the mother who has nurtured that child in the womb, who has felt us when we've, when we've kicked and punched on the inside, has gone through the pain of delivery, and then the joy of those first moments of nursing. And I know when my kids were born, my choice would have been to be out in the waiting room with the LA Times in my, in my lap. But I had to be there, I don't know why, but I had to be there. But I was just a spectator. And I was transformed by that arrival, but not nearly so much as the mother. I wrote about mom in our latest Gulf Breeze. I won't repeat that story, but let me just share with you. I tell personal stories, not only so that you can understand how God may be working in your life. Because I can look over my life and see how God worked in mine. And personal stories are a way of of helping to do that self-examination to see how God has been active in your life. But so when I was in high school, once again, playing basketball and doing all that stuff, mom, Mom, who graduated from University of Wisconsin in 1942 with a major in home economics. Where can you get a major in home ec anymore? Mother went on and got her master's degree. She became a dietitian, But then she was also mom at home, four of us. And so in high school, mom... Uh, knit me a, a vest, and, um, and I've never knitted myself, but I hear, and I'm watching mom in the dining room doing her knitting. It takes a long time to do. And she went to all of this effort, and it was a beautiful, intricate, beautiful vest with all kinds of different colors and a pattern running 
across the front. It was, it was beautiful, brown and multicolored on the front and brown on the back. So I wore it. It was in the cooler part in the, of the year, and I wore it to school. And I caught some comments. Anderson, look at that, look at that vest you've got on. You know, I got, I got some comments that somehow they didn't, they didn't like it. They, they thought it was not really a pretty vest. And um, dumb kid that I was, I, I stopped wearing it because I was getting comments, maybe two, three comments. And mom asked me why I wasn't wearing the vest that she made. And I just said, well, you know, some of the kids just made some comments about it, and I just sort of left it at that. That, that day or the day thereafter, as I got home from basketball, I saw mom in the dining room unraveling the vest. And I, I didn't think much of it at the time, because again, I was a dumb kid. But then, maybe a, six weeks later, she, um, when I got home from school, she called me in. And she said, honey, come here. Try this on. And I have to say, if I saw it in a store, I probably wouldn't buy it. <laughs> but I love it. It's a gift that has priceless value. And it becomes for me something of an icon of my mother's love. And we all have them. We all have those reminders of of the love that mom had for each of us. And, and so, when Jesus on the cross is remembering, as he sees the clothing that she made being divided amongst these brutes, he remembered her and thought of her and made provision for her. Likewise, we do the best we can. You know, mom never aged. As I thought about this, dad aged. But I, in my mind's eye or my heart's eye, mom was always the same. Always beautiful, always tender, always caring, always loving. And somehow, even when I was with her at the end, she never looked old. She always looked as she did when she gave me the sweater. I look forward to the day. I look forward to the day. Will you join me in prayer? And thank you, O oh Lord, for the uncommon love we did nothing to deserve, and yet you lavish it upon us. And we thank you, dear Father, that, that your love, even with Adam in the garden, was not adequate.
And he needed Eve to fulfill him. We all need that very special love. Thank you for your provision. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message.